Welcome to the Anxiety at Work podcast. I'm Chester Elton. And just, <laughs> why don't we try that again? Welcome to the Anxiety at Work podcast. I'm Chester Elton, and this is my co-author and dear friend, Adrian Gostick. Yeah, we hope that the time you spend with us is going to help remove the stigma of anxiety and mental health in the workplace and your personal life. So we've assembled some of the best experts in the world of work and life to give you ideas and most importantly, tools to deal with anxiety in your world. And our guest today is the delightful Anna Yusum, a Yale Medical School trained psychiatrist and author of more than 70 articles, books, and other pieces of literature on mental health. She's a board certified psychiatrist in a private practice in New York City and the recipient of dozens of awards and distinctions for her research in psychiatry. Anna, we are new friends and uh, delighted to have you on our humble podcast. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here, Adrian Chester. Well, thanks again for taking the time, Anna. You know, as a psychiatrist, it's interesting. My my son, Anthony Gostick, who who helped us write our new book, Anxiety at Work, he was doing some research on you, and, and he called me all excited because he'd read a lot of the, the work you've done on spirituality and, and mental health, and he was just so excited that you'll be on the show. And, and he was saying a lot of your work is around, you know, helping identify, treat mental health disorders, but, but you're an expert in this. Look, we're, we're business leaders. And our perspective of, of our team's mental health isn't always so clear. Uh, we obviously don't have your, your expertise and, and this diagnosis we can follow to understand really what our people are feeling. So we might even have trouble spotting when our team members need care. So what are a few, let's get started, maybe give us an idea of a few essential things managers should start doing to help promote mental wellness and a healthy workplace. I think that's a great question, Adrian, because I think the first thing, most importantly, is this idea that we're all in the midst of a time of great uncertainty and a time that we've never experienced before. Everybody right now is undergoing changes and transitions in their life, in their sense of identity, in what it means to be a worker in the workplace and what the workplace community looks like. And in the midst of that, whereas before seeing somebody face to face, you can pick up pretty easily, perhaps when somebody's going through hardship, it's harder now. And then maybe on the other hand, it could be easier now because everybody's going through something. And so what's most important, I think, for managers and for anybody who has a workforce is to start to do a number of things. First is normalize. Normalize and help your employees to see that experiencing anxiety, depression, feelings of uncertainty, trepidation, fear, whatever it is, this is something that we are all going through right now. There is nothing shameful about it. There's nothing you should feel guilty about. And in a way, what you're doing as, as the um, managers, et cetera, is you're destigmatizing this. You're telling people that it's okay to feel what you're feeling. And when you are feeling it, we are here for you and we're gonna be compassionate and empathic. We're not gonna judge you. And actually what we're gonna do is we're gonna arm you with resources because there's so many different things that leaders need to do in order to help the people who are below them. And what kind of resources can you give people? First is in services, helping people to recognize how common anxiety in the workplace is, 
what it manifests is, as, and what are some of the potential causes. So let's go through some of those. Right now, what are people's anxieties? Number one, COVID and the fear of COVID, the fact that cases are spiking everywhere. And so there's the very primal fear of our own health or the health of our children or the health of our loved ones or our parents. And that's so deep and it's so rampant. And people have this fear to different degrees. For some people, it's overpowering and it keeps them up at night. For other people, it's, you know, in the back of their head, they're like, we're not at the age where we're going to get that sick. We're not that worried, but my parents could get sick. And then they have the impact on their community. Second, there's the economic impact and the impact on one's job security. A lot of people are losing their jobs in a lot of different industries. Job security isn't what it used to be. And that, for a lot of people, really shakes up their sense of identity because their work is their identity. So a lot of people are going through identity crises right now. And third, there's the social isolation because we're ultimately social animals. We're not meant to be isolated and staring at computer screens all day. We're meant to be smiling with one another, you know, not necessarily elbowing each other, but every now and then giving each other a hug. We're meant to be able to go out and be together. And that really hasn't been something that we've been able to do. So those are just a few of the stressors, but there's so much more. You know, I, I love that, you know, resources, where can you go? Where can you get help? What are the tools? Which brings me to, if people want to learn more about your work, uh, where would you send them? I would send them to probably my book, Fulfilled, The Science of Spirituality and How It Can Help You Live a Happier, More Meaningful Life. And also to my website where I've done a number of podcasts and interviews. And, you know, what I'm trying to do is help to keep the vibe up because there's so many things right now in our society, in the workforce that can bring the vibe down, especially, you know, what's happening in our political system and all the fear and the anger and the rage that that engenders. So how do we keep our vibe up throughout all this? It's, you know, there's a number of things, but it's looking within and figuring out what do I need to thrive? What do I need to be happy? What do I need to feel fulfilled despite the circumstances? Ultimately, that's what we're seeking in our life is to figure out how to feel up even when life is down, despite any and all circumstances. Now, we're not superhuman. We're going to feel real emotions. Of course we will. But despite that, we all have the capacity within ourselves to rise above adversity. And that's what COVID and this pandemic has forced people to do, to look within themselves and get in touch with those facets of our inner strength that often either we've forgotten or didn't know that we had. You know, so interesting. You know, we, we love our community. The people that tune into the podcast, our community, you know, we thrive together and, and they're very engaging. You know, they want to talk about it. They want a safe place to talk about it. So let's get really practical. Okay. So I, I'm a manager and I can see that somebody on my team is anxious and I've got some resources and places to send them. What advice would you give to a manager on things that, you know, aren't normalized now in the workplace that should be so that when I sort of detect that, whether it's on a Zoom you know, or, or whether we're, you know, on an assembly line somewhere, what, what should be normalized? I, I'm a leader. Tell me what's the first thing I should do. Right. You tell them, you know what? Everybody's going through something right now. People have a lot of anxiety. People have a lot of depression. I recently spoke with a psychiatrist. Everyone's calling her to up their meds, to increase their therapy sessions, to get their mom into therapy. This is a really, really <laughs> stressful time. You are all highly intelligent, self-sufficient people, but 
I'm here to tell you as a manager, you don't have to be completely self-sufficient. There are resources. If needed, we will support you to go to therapy, to speak to us, to do whatever it is that you need to do to take the best care of yourself. Before, mental health was something that we put on the back burner. You take care of your work and productivity, and then when you have time, go take care of your mental health. Things have changed now. The mental health pandemic is actually taking over after the COVID pandemic. So now mental health is first and foremost. In order for you to be a productive employee and for that productivity to be sustainable, your mental health has to come first. So we as your leaders are letting you know that you have to do that and you need to let us know how to support you, whether that means to make time for therapy or whatever it is. And that also, you know, if people within the company are able and willing to share some of their personal stuff, that is so incredibly powerful. And this is to show that it's not shameful or stigmatizing to sometimes go to therapy, to need medication if things are difficult, to need to talk to someone, to be crying at night, wondering what the future will hold because we've all done it. This is where things are right now for a lot of people. That's great. We wish you, that's why we're doing this show. So you can, people like you can talk to, to leaders out there that may be, may be struggling. I want to take things on a little different tangent right now. Your book Fulfilled talks about the science of spirituality, which I really loved, and how our relationship to others can, can help us find meaning and happiness through what you call a psycho-spiritual perspective. So what exactly does that mean to have a psycho-spiritual perspective in all of this? <laughs> Right. Thanks, Adrian. Yeah. And so all of us, you know, when we think about psychology therapy, we know the psychological perspective. The psychological perspective is to look within and understand a number of things from our psyche or how, you know, patterns from childhood affect our current life, existential struggles that we as human beings have, questions of purpose and meaning. Now, the spiritual perspective is a lot of those things, but really focuses on our connection to something greater than ourselves. For some people, that something greater could be God. For others, it's the universe. For other people, it's a collective consciousness, mother nature, whatever your something greater is. It doesn't even have to be something spiritual per se. There is a ton of you know, very, very connected atheists who don't believe in God, but feel very connected to the global whole or even to a set of transcendent values that enable for the elevation of the human spirit. Values such as trust and perseverance and unconditional love and working hard despite adversity and hope, things like that. Whatever it is that elevates you and enables you to be connected to something greater, that's the spiritual part of the psycho-spiritual perspective. And so a lot of people focus just on psychology to get us well, but often we need to be connected to that greater whole and understand our role in the universe in that way in order, I believe, to have true and complete healing and fulfillment. You know, that's so interesting, you know, being a part of something bigger than yourself. I, I think that's such an interesting con concept. And I love the way, you know, it doesn't have to be convert to you know x religion you know that connection i've got friends that are very connected to nature you know they just on their hikes and their walks and that gives them a calms them down and calms their anxiety you know we often say when you're really anxious go for a walk you know commune with nature well so bringing it back to team leaders how can leaders help their teams benefit from that kind of perspective because that's that's not a normal conversation <laughs> what you just explained there for a manager to have with their employee connect with the trees you know I, I i can't imagine that happening and yet i know there is a way because you're so good at this that, that you could equip them to 
have basically that conversation. Am I right? Definitely, definitely. And I think so. I wonder if someone like yourself, someone who is a leader, an executive, et cetera, could have a conversation with their employees saying, okay, you know what? We're going to have a mental health conversation. We don't usually have these, but it's important that we do this now. And you know why? Because mental health is suffering. Suicide rates are at an all-time high as our anxiety and depression rates. Alcoholism, domestic violence, all the things that are downstream of mental health effects are also rising. So let's talk about what we need to do in order to stay healthy, sane, and feel fulfilled in our everyday life. What do you need for mental health? So you start this conversation. And then people are going to tell you they need to get enough sleep. They need to eat healthy. They need to have a good relationship with their spouse. They need to be employed and know where their next paycheck is going to come from. And then probably someone somewhere will say, oh, and I need to go to church. And so that's where it begins. Okay, so you go to church. So what does that give you? And what do other people do to get that sense of connection? It, yours could be church. Yours could be going hiking in nature, just like you said. Yours could be reading books that inspire you. Yours could be writing in a creative way or painting or having a creative form of self-expression that taps into your soul. At the end of the day, all of those things that connect us to something greater are those things that most engage our soul. And there's not one, there's not, for everybody it's something different, and yet it's the profound things that make us who we are. That most people would say, these are the things that are of profound importance to me and are central to my core identity. So that's how you'd start this conversation. You start what makes you feel good and go a little bit deeper to what makes you feel most connected to your soul and how does that translate into the workplace? Do you know, it seems to me as you're talking, you're asking managers to be vulnerable. You know, we've had these conversations where what what really impacted the employee and reduced their anxiety was that their manager admitted, hey, I get anxious too. Is that kind of what you're saying? You say, look, what makes you feel good? Would it be helpful for them to say, here's what makes me feel good when I'm anxious? Is that vulnerability an important part of the step? Huge. I think that's huge. And I think that that is the most important step because at the end of the day, whether you're an employee, a manager, an executive, C-level, it doesn't matter. We're all human beings on this path of life, striving to learn, grow, and transform. And the more that we can see other people doing that, especially other people who are superior to us, who we admire, who we look up to, who are our examples, if we could see them be vulnerable and see they too have weaknesses and they have ways of overcoming that. They have paths that they have taken. They're able to talk about it without feeling shame or embarrassment. This starts to normalize the process. And this is often, it's like in a relationship. When somebody shares their true feelings, people think it's a weakness. It's the opposite. That's the guy who gets the girl. The guy who actually is able to say what's on his mind, right? That is totally the guy who gets the girl, but it's the exact same thing. When people see your humanity, your employees are gonna respect you more. They're gonna look up to you more and say, wow, that's the kind of man I'd like to be, especially for men where it's so hard oftentimes to be vulnerable because masculinity is all about not showing your emotions, about toughing, you know, toughing it out and like figure it out on your own and being self-sufficient. It could seem wimpy to be able to share, yeah, sometimes I'm scared. Sometimes I've had a really hard time. Sometimes I too feel anxiety, but that makes you human and sharing your humanity with others is the ultimate strength. The man who does that is the superior man, the most the most masculine man in my book. That's why I, that's why people think I'm so masculine is because I am so flawed. It's true, yeah. Um, but it's not a flaw. Know. That's exactly what it is. And you think it's a flaw. 
sharing your humanity is the greatest strength. And I love that, Anna, because, you know, the idea is what you I think what you're saying is it's actually now cool to be flawed. I mean, 10, 20 years ago, you know, the ultimate symbol of of, say, masculinity would be like James Bond, you know, never makes a mistake, always in charge. And now we I think you're exactly right. We see people who are flawed as actually, you know, at least I can relate to them. At least I know that they're they're human and vulnerable. Right. It's like it reminds me of like somebody had these little memes and the meme for way back was I'm okay, you're okay. The meme now is I'm not okay, you're not okay, and that's okay. You know, one of the things we're noticing with our corporate clients is okay, we all know anxiety, mental health issues are on the rise, but we have not seen any increase in in the use of of employee assistance programs. Uh, people, I think we just saw a recent statistic that says 90% of employees would not tell their manager that they are suffering from any sort of mental health issue. Um, you know, if I have a cold, I'd tell them that, but I wouldn't tell them this. So how do we help break down that stigma that's still out there? Absolutely. So in my practice, I treat a lot of frontline workers and they say the exact same thing. There's a ton of employee assistant programs, especially now for frontline workers who in so many ways have been fundamentally and foremost affected by the pandemic. None of them want to use the employee assistant programs. Why? Because it seems shameful and it's so private. And the last thing they want to know or they want to share is sharing with their employees that I've really had a hard time. I've considered quitting. Maybe I've even considered suicide. Like really scary things like that. Who wants their boss to hear that, you know? And so I think confidentiality is key. So to enable people to have, I don't know how necessarily it would work, but often reimbursement for private services as opposed to necessarily employee assistance programs, that's one possibility. And then the other thing is really destigmatizing. Because why are people so scared to share? Why does it have to be so confidential? Because it's not okay. Because you have to be strong at all costs. Because it seems like the people at the top have it all together. It's not okay to admit our flaws and our vulnerability. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. You know, I, I remember being completely stressed out at work and actually talking to the CHRO of our company, who uh, I was dear friends with. And she said, Chester, you need to seek counseling. I said, not on your life. Are you kidding? She said, it's all confidential. I said, there's no way. Nothing's confidential. Exactly. So that's why. Because like, God forbid anybody actually knows our innermost thoughts. The fact that we think, you know, God knows what we think about. And it's just thoughts. We're allowed to think anything as human beings. As a psychiatrist, having treated 1,500 people, I can tell you, people think everything. And it's all okay. There's no thoughts that are too dangerous, too aggressive, too sad, too sexual, too whatever. All the things that people find somehow reprehensible. It's just human beings having thoughts. It's just human beings going through life. And to be able to share your innermost world with somebody, it's really empowering. So let's get to the social aspect. You know, uh, people are really feeling disconnected. Adrian and I joke about this. You know, we look at our motivators and stuff. Adrian is his best self in COVID. He's isolated. He's on his own. (laughs) He's loving it. Me, you know, I've never met a stranger. And, uh, and it's been hard because I don't have that socialization. So two questions. First, what is the impact of that, the lack of socialization? And, and secondly, what can managers do to encourage that kind of socialization, you know, after work and, and, and other areas of their life? Is that fair to ask? Absolutely, right. I think the impact of social isolation has been huge in COVID and has 
exacerbated feelings of loneliness, which has for many, not for all, because there's a lot of people who thrive as Adrian did in this. And they're like, I'm perfectly happy in my little bubble. I don't really want to see people. You know, you're a little more introverted or kind of you're on the cusp or there's a lot of reasons, you know, for some people, this time has been advantageous. But for many people like yourself, Chester, it can exacerbate loneliness, anxiety, depression, and everything that comes downstream of that. Because we are social creatures, we are social animals. And we like to be able to look people in the eye. As wonderful as it is to see your eyes here on riverside.fm, it's really amazing to be able to, you know, see somebody's eyes and see them actually breathe and be in the same room with them, sharing space. There's something that's very powerful that gets transmitted in that. And so what do we do in order to get around this forced isolation and quarantine that our country and actually the world is a part of right now? I think the need for deliberate social contact is huge. And that is whatever methods we have, as imperfect as they are, whether it be Zoom, whether it be phone calls, having people engage in that and not just engage on the level of let's have a business meeting, but also engage in a way that's a little bit more vulnerability inducing and a little bit more social and you know your happy hour where people can have a drink at their home and have private conversations and also start having those community discussions on what's coming up for people around this you know epidemic or the loneliness epidemic you know the end result for a lot of people if they already have anxiety depression and they need social contact it's what's called double depression it's, you know, an underlying organic history of depression on top of a very acute event. So a lot of people with any sort of pre-existing conditions have double anxiety, double depression. And it's been very, very hard. Well, well that, that, and that is such powerful advice. And on, on that note, I just want to, you know, 99% of us will not have a chance to have a, a Yale medical school educated psychiatrist working with us in our team. I, I'd be lucky if I got somebody from, you know, upstairs medical college to help me. But um, so give us some other examples of exercises that a team or a team member might be able to use to help reduce anxiety. You've talked about so many powerful things already. Definitely. Okay. So in order to reduce anxiety at the individual level, it's so important to do certain key things for oneself and for everybody, it's something different, but one very easy exercise that you could do together individually or as a team is just a little breath work and breath work. That is so easy that you can teach your team and that team could take it with them. And this is breath work. That's particularly powerful either for anxiety, for panic, whenever you're in a meeting, whenever you feel your heart beating a little too fast, or whenever thoughts seem to be coming into your mind and they're hard to control. And it's a breath. You begin with an in breath for two, then you hold for four and you breathe out for eight. And so let's practice once or twice together, just so we get it. Breathe in for two, hold for four, out for eight. Breathe in for two, hold for four, out for eight. Last one, breathe in for two, hold for four, out for eight. And so what you're doing 
in doing an exercise like this, you just notice it actually slows everything down a little bit. What you're doing is you're actually flooding your brain with oxygen, holding it there, and releasing it very, very slowly. And the end result is a net positive oxygen supply to your brain, which signals to your brain calm. You know, there is a feeling of calm. When we're nervous and hyper, what we do, even without realizing it, is we hyperventilate. We're like releasing carbon dioxide so quickly and we have a net negative, a sense of oxygen deprivation. And so you are deliberately reducing that or, or shifting that in order to flood your brain with oxygen. And it's such a simple exercise. And if you were even to do five breaths like this three times a day, your energy would just kind of like, oh, like you would feel much more calm. Did you guys feel that when you did it? You know, it's interesting. I, I noticed my, so the third time I went through, I noticed I'd been fiddling with my pen and it just sort of, it was just focusing me. So I stopped and I, I was able to even calm more. So it was really good. Yeah, for me, it was that exhale. For me, it was the exhale on the eight. I was good right up until about six. The seven, eight, I was near passing out. Um, you know, it, I, 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 I'm a big fan of that. You know, it's interesting. My wife just bought me this Apple Watch. And I love it and I hate it because about every three seconds, it's buzzing me to do something. There is a breath app on there, though. And they encourage you to do it three times a day. And it's it's basically what you said. I, I love these little triggers that you can put little little reminders and uh i'll tell you as 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 much as i don't like being controlled by others my watch has gets me to get up and walk around it gets me to go for more walks and and it, and it really it really has been helpful so give us again your book some of the places people can go to learn more about your work you've got your book fulfilled you've got your website give us that website again and any other resources you'd like to our listeners to know sure so uh, my website is www dot anna com, which is spelled a n n a y u s as in sam i m as in mary.com and on my website there are some classes i have on the intersection of spirituality mental health you can get the book on the website or um, amazon or anywhere else that books are sold and there's a ton of podcasts on this subject as well yeah, we, we love giving our, our community resources. You know, we we love this community. Our, our, our goal is to become the number one resource for anxiety and uh, and mental health. Well, listen, um, you know, mental health has become a really important topic in the workplace, you know, as, as has wellness, particularly during, during, during COVID. Now, you spent a decade and a half, you know, 15 years researching the importance of all of this. What's the most important lesson that you've learned uh, in, in that time, it's pretty over COVID. And what might be the most surprising or counterintuitive thing that you've learned during COVID? I think the most important thing, and this is for myself as somebody who takes care of others, but I would say this is for anybody because employees always have someone depending on them, is you can't take care of others or produce for others unless you take care of yourself first. And this is why I was talking about the shift from mental health being peripheral to productivity and to the workplace, to mental health being fundamental and primary, to productivity and to everything going smoothly on all levels. So that was the most important lesson. And I guess also, it's also the most counterintuitive lesson because we think that, especially being employees or other people depending on us, we need to give, 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 give. And what we don't realize often, it's counterintuitive, but it makes perfect sense when it happens, is if we give too much, we end up broken and we can't give anymore. And what's the point? 
right? And so the people who you want as your employees and also as your leaders are those that know how to take care of themselves, meaning knowing how to say no, establish their boundaries. Of course, you don't want employees saying no all the time, but you also don't want employees giving so much and then having a nervous breakdown or not being able to tell you when they need something or feeling so much stigma from what they're feeling and then ending up in the hospital. So those things happen. So in a way, we ultimately want to teach people to take care of themselves in order to be happy, healthy human beings and amazing employees. Oh, and that's that's a beautiful way to wrap all this up. Uh, thank you, Dr. Yusum, for for coming on and being uh, with us today. Um, maybe just the last question for you: if, if you had to summarize, you know, you're you have one of your perhaps patients who's just quite frustrated that you know their manager just doesn't get this, doesn't feel comfortable um, even sharing with this. What would you kind of help them to be able to maybe from a position, perhaps not of power, to be able to share with somebody who has power, uh, how, how can you get them to understand how important this is? That's a tough question, but are there any tricks that we might, or tips we might be able to, to take away for, for some of our listeners who may not be in positions of power right now? Absolutely right. I mean, there is a very clear economic benefit. The people who do well in terms of mental health are the high producers. The people who don't do well are usually the people who at some point are going to take more you know, physical leave, mental health leave, et cetera, because any sort of anxiety, depression, substance abuse, that translates into the bottom line. That translates into productivity lost, you know, less less days work, higher sick leave, higher uh, disability leave, all of those things. So from a bottom line perspective, taking care of the mental health of your employees is paramount. And now you can say, well, we actually weed out those people who are going to have mental health needs. We don't want to hire those people. But guess what? Right now, people's mental health needs are becoming paramount just because they're experiencing things they've never experienced. And I have a number of C-suite people who I treat in my practice with like newfound palpitations, waking up with insomnia that they've never had before. This is like your triathlon, marathon runners, super strong people. I have Olympians and like they are really, really, really stressed. So these mental health things aren't just for the weak. This is because we're human and every human being in life at some point is going to be brought to their knees. Whatever it is, it's just part of life. And so it's not whether or not you're going to be brought to your knees. It's how you get up and what you do in order to own that struggle and to turn that challenge into something that makes you stronger and more evolved. You know, amazing. Uh, you know, you've just got so much wisdom. You've got so much to, to give. We we would love to invite you to be a part of our community, the We Thrive Together community, because I think a lot of the things that you're talking about would be really assuring for people that are struggling at, at work. So... I know this is a tough question, but if you had to sum up the one big thing you wanted everybody to take away from today, what would that one thing be? Given our conversation, I think the most important thing is there is no shame in whatever it is that you're feeling and whatever it is that you are going through. Own it, speak it, share it, and then do whatever you need to do. If you need help, get the help you need. Take care of yourself first. You have to. Your employees, your you know family, and especially you, your soul, depends on it. Chess, what, what are some of the things you took away from Anna today? Well, I, I love the summary there. You know, uh, own it. You know, talk about it. I, I love the breathing exercise. 
I, I thought that was tremendous. Uh, the thing that I love the most, though, is the guy that's the most vulnerable gets the girl. <laughs> I think that, that, it's that the truth. I've seen it. I've seen it, in, you know, <laughs> over and over and over. <laughs> that is so fun. Um, you know, and I took away, too, I just thought, you know, just what you'd said, Anna, about everybody's going through something right now. Um, and the causes. Look, there's COVID. Um, there's social isolation, but I don't think we're talking enough about job security. I thought that was huge because that is such a, especially for younger employees that don't have 10 or 20 years of experience to, to fall back on. And they're so vulnerable right now. And I think as leaders, we just need to be extremely careful in how we treat those younger people who are so worried about the economic impact that this pandemic is creating. Yeah. I love, too, what you said there is make sure you take care of yourself first. I, I know it's the old adage, you know, you put your oxygen mask on first and then put it on your kid. It, it is really true. I think as as leaders in particular that are listening to the podcast, we're really good about giving. We're not really good about asking. And, uh, you know, we, we need to make that stigma go away as well, that it's OK for leaders. And that ties to my my other uh, takeaway that you gave. And that is that vulnerable vulnerability. Easy for me to say that vulnerability is a strength, not a weakness. And that when you're vulnerable with people, they will rally to you, make it much more relatable. And I think make it a, a safer place for people to talk about their anxiety. Uh, I hope I got that right, doctor. Beautiful. And I think my last takeaway, too, was, you know, just as your book Fulfilled talks about focus on something greater than ourselves in these tough times, whether it's a purpose and that's what team leaders can bring. Look, this is how we are improving customers lives or patients lives or just for ourselves, whether it's spirituality, whether it's connecting better with nature, focusing on something greater than ourselves. So this has been just an amazing uh, 45 minutes together here. We want to thank you, um, Anna, for being on the show with us. A, a special thanks to our producers, Brent Klein and Christy Lawrence, and of course, to everybody who has listened in today. Um, if you like the podcast, please share it and let others know about it. Right, Chess? Absolutely. Share it with your friends and family. Join us with the We Thrive Together community. We're going to be having a different events and guest speakers, people like Anna, to help you with your anxiety. And, you know, just in closing, uh, Adrian, I love that thing about something bigger than yourself. You know, be a part of a community. You're not alone. You're not alone. There's a lot of people that are suffering and there are a lot of people that can really help you get through it. So let's, uh, let's create a community that's bigger than ourselves and let's help each other out. Well, that's our story, right, Adrian? And we're sticking to it. Um, and thanks again, Anna. You've been a delightful guest. I, I know that we're going to become fast friends. Thank you so much for your time and your expertise. Thank you both.